So today's show is uh, going to be a blast. It's about all things um, that are at the intersection of HR and internal comms and comms comms. So comms that might hit press, internal comms that hits primarily the employee base, and then HR from where it all stems in many cases. I am joined by two kick-ass experts. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, one is Amanda Atkins, who is head of internal comms and culture at Slack. Um, and she is quite fabulous. And she, you, Amanda, you've been there for the past five years. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Five years. It's been an incredible journey. So tell us what your remit is and maybe what you did before you joined Slack. Sure, absolutely. So I'm currently Senior Director of Internal Comms and Culture at Slack. Um, I lead a team of seven globally and have had the privilege of being part of growing this company from a couple hundred people to the almost 3,000 it is today and going public, going uh, through this acquisition that we're currently experiencing and a million moments in between. Uh, before I joined Slack, though, I spent about 13 years in Fortune 500 companies. I grew up in big companies navigating complex corporate environments. So coming to Slack and being able to build something in this type of industry and really starting from those, you know, fundamental early days was really powerful. But I came directly from Gap Inc. I spent several years in retail between Gap and Limited Brands, uh, now L Brands, the parent company of Victoria's Secret Bath and Body Works. And for a few years in financial services, but started my career in manufacturing. So I've kind of played across the board and had the opportunity to see how the intricacies and psychology and all of the different pieces and parts of internal communications really come together uh, across a lot of different demographics, a lot of different scenarios. And, you know, you learn something every step of the way. So that's me. I'm based in San Francisco. If you only could talk, I, I can identify about several several different books that you could write right there. Um. Oh, yes. And I hope to write them. Uh, two, of, two of my uh, life goals are one is to write an internal communications college curriculum. And uh -huh. the other is, you know, I have a whole, whole list of books I'd like to, to cover on these topics. This stuff, I could geek out on it all day. That's awesome. All right, Shannon. Uh, I have known Shannon forever, but not all of you have. So, Shannon, who are you? Yes. So I'm Shannon Schiltz. Um, I'm an operating partner here at Andreessen, For uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Um, I've been with the firm since we started it. Um, I currently, so I oversee people practices, which works very closely with all of our portfolio companies on everything related to HR. And uh, in the last year before the pandemic, I started um, overseeing and helping with internal HR at the firm. So it's been a lot of fun in the last year to have you know, working with portfolio companies, but also experiencing it myself as every company has gone through an evolution. Um, prior to that, I've, I've been in the tech industry. I was at HP uh, via the acquisition of Opsware. And prior to that, uh, HP, I was at Opsware running uh, HR. And if you're okay with it later, we'll ask you how you got laid off by Ben Horowitz, who you still work for <laughs> after all these years. So somehow yes. that, 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 that he, he must have done that okay. Um, <laughs> he did it quite well. It can be done perfectly, yes. Um, all right, so let's get some context going. Um, Amanda, maybe I'll start with you. What, how would you define internal communications and why should a CEO care about it? When is the right time to think about it? How would you how would you think about the first hire into a role like this? Is it external, internal? Tell us all about how you think about it. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, this alone, I think we could probably talk for an hour, but I think the TLDR there is that a, a strong internal communications leader really forges the connective tissue that keeps everyone and everything within an organization moving in the same direction. And so that's going to be important, whether you are 100 people or you're 100,000 people. Uh, the complexities are a little bit different. The players are going to be different. Things that work at one scale are not going to work at another. But it's something to really begin thinking about when you're building your operational foundation as a business and understanding what are those cultural tenets that you want everyone to stay grounded in. What are the what are the, the, those foundational pieces of the business and what we stand for and how we talk about uh, our, our company, how we talk about our competition, how we talk about the market? Uh, what is that tone that we want to set with employees? What are the expectations that we want to set about how we work together? What level of transparency are we comfortable with? There are just so many pieces of that early foundation that if you can infuse internal communications, change management, a really solid information flow into that foundation, it's going to serve you so well as you scale and avoid a lot of the friction and drama that can come from needing to clean up communication problems or messes later down the road. So I would argue that the sooner you start thinking about it, the better. I think when you're at a couple of hundred people and you're starting to get beyond that point of, we can all just kind of turn to one another and tell each other what's going on because we're, we, we've all known each other and we know each other's names and we know how people, who's working on what and exactly what the problems are that we're trying to solve. Once you start to get to that past that point where you're like, I didn't recognize that person walking down the hall or wait a minute, who works on this particular thing now? That's, I think, when you know that it is probably a little bit past time to start thinking about hiring an internal comms lead because while a founder who is well-equipped or a leadership team that is well-equipped can start infusing those things early on as they're building the business. There comes a time when that isn't the best use of their energy and brain power anymore. And then it's time to hand the reins over to somebody who can come in and formalize an internal communication strategy, set up your infrastructure for information flow, and become ultimately your partner in making sure that the information flow across the company is working for the stage that you're at and that you understand your, the culture of your people, what works for them, what doesn't, what is going to thrill them, what's going to piss them off, what's going to scare them. Uh, you understand the perception of you as a leader within the organization because kind of the, the one of the many benefits I think of having a strong internal comms leader is they become kind of the oracle of your business. They understand the dynamics, they understand the influencers, they understand what kind of makes everybody tick and they're going to be an invaluable partner as you, as a leader, keep pushing them forward. So that's my yeah, so couple, Yeah, so a couple of follow-up questions. And Shannon, please chime in. So I sort of feel like the the thumb, the the rough thing is like, if, you, if you're not confident, you know everybody's name. And like, if I actually spent some time with them, it's time to get HR for sure. <laughs> oh, and yeah. then followed very soon by internal comms. I have a couple of follow-up questions. Um, and maybe Shannon, you can chime in. Like, what is a good reporting structure for for the internal comms person, for the HR person, like this internal comms part of comms, part of HR, part of the CEO, like I've seen several flavors. Maybe you guys can talk us through the pros and cons. You know, Margaret, I'll really quickly jump in. One of the things that we say to a lot of our founders, uh, especially when they're, you know, a small company and maybe they're all working in the same office, same building. And, and as of right now, all of that has changed. 
But as soon as you're not necessarily interacting with every person in the organization on a daily or you know weekly basis, communication starts to break down. And yes. so it's, it's, it's that small of an organization that communication has to become top of mind. And you have to have an idea of how you're going to pass what you're thinking as a founder onto all those other employees that you're just not interacting with. And so I think it's, you know, it's something we talk to founders, whether they have HR or internal comms or, you know, anyone on the marketing side, it's, it's you have to be forward thinking on what is your communication strategy from the get-go. Because a lack of communication, you know, the, the more you scale, if people don't know what's going on, they write their own story around what is going on. And then you're in a constant battle of correcting what you actually wanted employees to know. I just want to underscore that a hundred times, Shannon. That's so, so true. I will often say without a strategic internal comms approach, you're still going to have internal communication happening. You're still going to have culture being created, whether you are intentionally doing that or not. And it can just create so much friction within an organization if you aren't taking a deliberate approach to how that happens. And if you aren't having a hand in how that evolves and grows. Uh, And then if if you're proactively approaching it, then you're able to see when things are going to break and improve them, continuously improve them along the way, and, and you know recognize those those points of um, those those points at which all of the the pieces can start to fray, uh, and how to pull those back together. So I yeah. completely agree with you. In terms of reporting, my... oh go ahead, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna follow up on that. So go. Oh yeah, perfect. So I, I mean I agree. I've I've re- I've worked in all three of the uh, organizational structures that you mentioned, Margaret, and. Uh, amusingly, once I even reported to legal, which was kind of bizarre. Um, I think we're defensive, aren't we? <laughs> you know, yes, there you go. Good point. Uh, I I like the structure where you report into where, where internal communications reports into either the office of the CEO or reports into the global communications function. I think you get benefits from either one of those, but one of the one of the bigger benefits of um, separating from HR is because that partnership needs to be so close, and I think it helps to be able to work together as equals as opposed to uh, you know being within that organization. But it also I think depends on the people that you're the people at play and what their relationships are like. I think if you're coming in fresh to an organization, it's nice to have a little bit of independence because HR and comms need to work so closely together. It's nice to have the differing perspectives um, and be able to build that relationship um, at that level. The benefit I think of reporting into global comms is that the, the lines between internal and external communications are gone at this point and certainly bingo right that, that was my next question is external to internal communications are they even different anymore i mean there are certainly i think there are certainly different elements like i as an internal communications practitioner am probably spending a lot more time thinking about uh the change management approach that needs to go into the messaging strategy and how that's going to affect employees as opposed to somebody who is uh, you know, an external communications expert is thinking more about the demographics of their audience, et cetera. But at the core, it's it's about knowing your audience. It's about being able to craft the the right kind of authentic, uh, clear, concise, compelling messaging that is going to, uh, m- you know, move the needle on whatever it is you're trying to achieve. And within an organ, within a company, 
you have those, those two things have to be so, so tightly aligned. And right. And your, your employees are also your best or worst ambassadors, right? Yes. Because they're often yes. out there on Glassdoor or on Twitter, the social, we'll get to that later. Right. So yeah. y- you really cannot have a big disconnect between what you say to the people outside the four walls, not that they exist anymore, hello, um, <laughs> versus the ones that are in your quote-unquote office. Yes, 110% yep. true. Shannon, go ahead. Oh. What, what do you think about reporting structure or so, any other thoughts? Yeah, so reporting structure, I think when it comes to internal communications, like I, I've seen it in both, and I think it works in both. I think as long as there's alignment between what the senior leadership wants the, you know, how, what they believe. So when you have, you know, internal comms, not necessarily tied directly to the leadership team, like I think there can be a lot missed in um, translation of what a leadership team is looking to communicate or the tone they're trying to take. Um, I think there has to be like a super strong partnership between uh, your HR organization, you know, and, and, you know, I, I work with Margaret's team, right? I work with you and your team when I think about internal comms within even the firm because, you know, I live in, in HR and, and it's great to have someone who has another point of view on, you know, different ways to approach it. So I think it's it's important to have strong partnership with HR. I think as long as there's, whether it's, you know, through dotted lines or direct structure, mm-hmm. as long as there's a strong connection between the senior leadership team and whoever's driving internal communications. Yeah. I would double click on really really quick. I double click on, you know, we're living in, in an environment where, you know, internal and external, much of what is communicated internal will end up external. Um, And so just ensuring that there's alignment and comfort in whatever communications taking place inside the company, that it's okay, that it's outside the company too. Yeah. And one thing I would say for, for those in the audience who are CEO or advising CEOs is the fact if say you have a comms person and an HR person and you have um, you, you end up just telling one person everything and the other person sort of more transactional stuff, stick internal comms with the person who just is in the know because they are your internal number one ambassador. Ideally, there is no difference in like the bond and like the sharing and all of that. But if it is and you have to be practical and you don't want to have 17,000 direct reports, which that's a real <laughs> challenge, then just put internal comms where you think it can be most powerful and empowered. And, and that can be any flavor um, that we described earlier. Exactly. I love that. Yep. So we've just talked about reporting structure of something. Let's talk about restructuring, i.e. the nice word for layoffs. Um, so Amanda, I don't know if uh, Slack had to go through layoffs during the pandemic. I'm hoping not just because you know the 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 virtual economy seems to be thriving very much um however for those of you who have gone through layoffs that they're never fun obviously i've personally as a ceo had to lay off people and like had them cry and all of that and you know retain like great friendships but these are hard so when you are working with the ceo the hr person the comms internal and external like is there a playbook to do this well and to do it in a way that people go like, boy, I love you guys more, even though this really sucks for me personally. Like, and, and what is that playbook? Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've helped many, um, many companies go through layoffs as you alluded to. I, I was part of a layoff once too. Um, 
You know, I think the most important thing when you're doing any type of restructuring and, and it's impacting your employees is, you know, the things that I say to CEOs as we're going through this is one, your communication plan is going to be what gets you through this. Like it, mm-hmm. the communication has to be so clear. Respect is going to be so important. And the respect actually needs to be projected towards those who are staying. And even more importantly, the people who are staying are watching how the people are leaving are being treated. So this is where the communication to those who are a part of it and those who are staying is just just very, very important. The other thing that I think is super important is going back to the CEO or the founder. That is who everyone in an organization is ultimately working for. And that is, you're the person that they have chosen to come and be a part of your team. So it needs to come from the top. It's a hard, it's a hard communication, but employees deserve to hear it from you. And so, you know, the thing that I always say is super important when you're doing these is like, you need to tell the entire company what's going on at once, because it's the only way that you own the narrative to every employee. And then from there, it just has to be done in a very respectful way. Um, and uh, obviously thanking employees as, as they're departing from the company. So take us through, Shannon or Amanda, take us through like, okay, so what is the day of like when you're orchestrating a layoff? Because, you know, there, you just said like, there's a meeting with the CEO where the CEO says, he or she says like, we have to go through this. It's really hard. But like, how does it actually, how does it actually unfold? And you know, now we have the Zoom situation and we've seen all the coverage of companies doing uh, layoffs well and not well, right? It's like, all I got is a Zoom call for 10 minutes and no explanation. Like, how, how does one actually do this? Like, really? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you can take a lot of what was done in, in the physical world and I think you can, can move it over to um, the Zoom environment. But I think, you know, obviously a lot of planning goes up to the day in which you are going to, um, do the notifications. I would say, you know, there's the logistical piece of ensuring that you have all the Zoom set up, you have everything ready so you can just start, you know, going through meetings. But in a perfect scenario, um, you know, my recommendation would be that the that all hands is called. Um, and if you have a global environment, it's, it's, you know, making sure that it's at the right time where people can actually participate in it. Um, you're communicating to the entire organization um, that, you know, we're going through a reduction. Um, I, I often recommend that you keep that communication quite brief because as soon as people hear that there's a reduction or a layoff going on, they can maybe absorb two or three more points um, <laughs> because the first thing that's going through their mind is, do I have a job? Um, right. And so going through the logistics of the day, going through what's, you know, your man, your manager is going to meet with everyone individually. Like that's, that's where respect, I, I think that's the most important thing is notifying and talking to those folks individually who are impacted to the best of your capabilities. This is where you saw a lot of things go sideways, um, you know, earlier this year, or last year uh, was, you know, group notifications. It's an emotional conversation. It's, it's a stressful communication to an employee who's being told that they're being laid off. Um, and I would just say, yeah. Shannon, like as you pointed out, and we've lived through this, um, like the details really matter. If the Zoom thing with your manager shows up before the all hands and then the all yes. hands, it's just, it's just so 
important to orchestrate this minute by minute by minute. And then the more global you are and the bigger the organization is, the harder it becomes. So it's it's like, think of it as your most important launch, except for backwards, because it's not a happy thing. But yes. it, the orchestration of that, I cannot say enough how much I've mattered. Yes, I, yeah. I agree with that. Go ahead, Amanda. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything that has been said. I think the preparation leading up to your actual day of announcement is so vital. And you've already covered a lot of this, Shannon and Margaret as well. Um, but thinking about how you are going to carefully choreograph every single minute and having that run of show established and making sure that all of the people who have a role in it understand not just what they need to do, but how vital it is that they are aligned in exactly how and you know how that is all going to play out. Uh, and that is something that requires heavy preparation behind the scenes, certainly internal communications and human resources and the leaders at play, but also um, chiefs of staff and executive assistants and just making sure that everyone who has a role in making in the flawless execution understands what their role is and just how vital it is. Uh, so having that play-by-play, I think is really important. I, I like what you said, uh, Shannon, about... Um, people who are both staying and going need to be accounted for. And the there will be survivor's guilt for the folks that are that are still um, employed and still have jobs. It's going to be super weird for them the first time that they go to a staff meeting and their colleagues that they've worked with for a long time are not there anymore. And the as a result, like the change management plan has to go far beyond the actual notification day and the, hey, this is what's happening day. And thinking through how are you going to make sure that folks are prepared and supported in moving forward in the most effective way. Uh, and so that's that's definitely a leadership exercise and a tone that's being set from the top and reinforced at all levels beneath. Um, and I think another part of that that is really important um, from the, the moment that the, the CEO or founder or leader is coming out and saying, this is what's happening, is being really transparent about what is happening, why it's happening, what is our path forward, but also acknowledging that this is hard and this is not ideal. And this is something that we're going to, um, you know, we're going to need to work through together. And I think that level of vulnerability and being able to show up as a human paired with the way that you take care of those people who are being impacted by a layoff and demonstrating that you genuinely care for them as people and humans and you have empathy for them, treat them with respect. Like all of those things together can create the kind of experience where you're like, wow, a layoff is going to suck no matter when or who it happens to or whatever, but they got it right in terms of their priorities and they actually thought of the right things and cared for the humans involved. And it wasn't just an exercise in, uh, you know, getting the right bottom line number. Amanda, and then I think the, you need to go ahead. Sorry. You, I wanted to double click on something that Amanda said. One of the things I, I share with a lot of our companies, there's so much planning that goes into doing a reduction the right way that literally weeks can actually lead up to the day in which you're doing the communication Oh, and yeah. the last the last thing that I always remind folks is you've now had two weeks of processing that mm-hmm. people were doing a layoff. So by the time you're actually standing in front of your employees and doing the communication, you have actually processed a lot of what your employees were feeling two weeks ago or what yes. you were feeling two weeks ago. So make sure you do show up with empathy. 
because you've had so much more time to process the communication you're making today. I, I totally agree with you, Shannon, because there's a time lag, right? When mm-hmm. you, you confront, you stop lying to yourself and go like, oh, no, we have to actually do this, right? You have time to digest and process and talk to people like you're our leader, the legal person, whatnot, right? And then the employees hear it like a bomb and a thud. Mm-hmm. However, I do think, and this is probably the hardest thing to navigate, you do then have to follow up with the folks who are staying. Yes, and reassert yes. the reason to believe. Yes. And and reassert some position of strength. Mm-hmm. So if you go like this really sucks and you know we're going to help people f- find jobs that that's all great. By the way, every time someone asks me how to shut down or do a layoff gracefully, I point them to Stuart um Stuart Butterfield as the CEO of Slack and his uh, first company Tiny Spec which produced this awesome game glitch went sideways and the most epic blog post ever to do a layoff and shut down a company was written by Stuart around that. But then, okay, so what do you do after that and tell the people who are staying, whether there are a thousand or 10, like why should they stay and why should they not be completely freaked out and just go look for the next job that's available? So that is very different by company, but that is very important. That's sort of the bookends, like give people time to process, but you you need to end on the note. It's like, okay, so here's how we're going to, Cake butt for lack of yes. but a more but it's not even fancy. like to that point, Margaret. Like this is one of the things. Like Friday is an, is a horrible day in which to do a reduction, Oof, right? Yeah. Um, Thursday is is a better day in that you know in a perfect world you'd have the ability to bring after all notifications have gone down, um, you'd bring the entire company back together and reiterate there was a tough day. Um, we have many people who are leaving us today. You know, like kind of close out the day and and you know, we'll see everyone tomorrow. The leadership team should already have the next two weeks planned. Yes. With all hands, with communications, with here's our go forward strategy. This is what, this is where we've pivoted. This is what we're doing. That is all part of the planning of doing a reduction is actually what does day one post-reduction look like? How do we get re-engagement? How do we bear hug our employees? And how do we get everyone on the same page with a potentially change strategy going forward for the company? And why were these people so important to keep on staff? Completely agree with all of that. And that's where I think uh, being able to focus some focus attention ahead of time on all layers of management, especially your people managers, who are going to need to have not only the layoff conversations, but a lot of those one-on-ones after the fact with employees who are staying. And if you can have a consistent cascade of messaging, whether it's a frontline leader or the CEO of the organization, and they are aligned and they are confident and they are clear about what is the path forward and why was, you know, as much as this change was hard and you know not something that we wanted to have to do here is the clear reasoning with why it's going to enable us to succeed going forward it's one of those where you can walk away saying okay this this sucked and this was hard but i get it and i i now have like a midi even a new level of confidence in our leaders that they are able to effectively take action when one thing isn't working and uh, so i think you have an opportunity if you're able to to really prepare your leaders at all layers of the organization not just at the top 
to be able to handle the change aspect of uh, of a situation like that. You're, and there, you're I just in. want I just want to say, be, behold middle management because as CEO, yes, you yes. actually get to make the decision. Middle management is simultaneously worried about their job yes. and selling the layoff as uh, as a tough but normal thing. Right. So this just you know have some empathy for those guys uh, yes. and girls, and they're most um, connected okay, to so the employees. I, that is true. And they will find out the real deal, which yep. oh, a CEO yeah. will never know. So <laughs> I we're going to open it up to questions pretty soon. But I'm thinking, I wonder if we should tackle one more meaty um, uh, topic before we um, really let everybody ask whatever. And um, to me, so one big event was sort of layoffs as caused by COVID. Um, and, and we should do a separate show on COVID because I think it deserves oh, its yeah. own show. However, but there, the other big event, um, there was a lot of politics, not just over the last summer, for sure, with BLM, but also for the last, say, well, politics have been front of mind. And I, I've seen companies have completely different takes on how to handle this, uh, from making statements to talking to the employees to this and that. And I... I think I'd be curious to see what like um, your view is, Amanda, and we'll be happy to share what our view has been, at least for the firm. Obviously, don't tell our companies what to do, because I think there may be some interesting differences. And I think it's it's worth uh, drawing those out so people know what sort of the spectrum can look like. Sure, absolutely. I'll I'll start. I I am a big fan of transparency and ensuring that there are appropriate venues for people to have conversations like this and raise questions about things. Um, but ultimately, I think there are a few pieces here. There's one, there's the, you know, the company response to the the big things that are happening in the world. And uh, then there's the, you know, the employees and how is that affecting them. Um, and so just focusing on those two pieces for a minute, I think one, um, this past year uh, included, there were a million issues happening almost every day, particularly in the past four years, but almost all the time. There are so many things that a company could make a statement on, and you just can't necessarily make a statement on everything or have a have a, a an open you know point of view on every single issue or thing that comes up. Um, so having having some guidelines as an organization around, okay, where, when are we going to publicly take a stand on this thing? When are we going to internally, uh, you know, respond to our employees on or proactively talk to our employees about these issues? It can be helpful. And that way, um, you know, you're really preserving those moments, those cultural moments and those opportunities for the most pivotal types of, um, of things that are going on. So for example, we did a lot more at Slack around, um, around, the Black Lives Matter movement last year than we did around like any environmental issue, for example. Not that those issues are not is are not important, but we optimize for things that are directly affecting the civil rights of our employees. And so that's where we draw the line so that we can really focus our energy on the things that are most vital for folks. Can I ask you so, a question about that, Amanda? Because yeah, so absolutely. I appreciate that view. I think that's totally legit. I actually think that's what the majority has chosen. But yeah, I have this question where like once you make statements about one topic and you <laughs> don't make statements about another topic, yes, you're just in a no-win spot because then if you say like, well, we care about BLM, whatever the topic may be, 
Sure. And then you say nothing about, you know, the climate crisis. Take whatever issue you want. Me too. Like there's a gazillion of them. Yeah. Aren't you like an angel on one and a devil on the other issue automatically because you you say something and then you don't say anything on on the next? I think that's only the case if you don't openly, openly acknowledge that. So I think there's benefit in a company being like, look, there is a lot going on in the world. There always will be. There are things that all of us care about and we provide things like a volunteer time off and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to ensure that, you know, you are able to support the causes that, that you most believe in. As an organization, we want to make sure that our voice is preserved on these specific things. That means that that does mean that sometimes there will be things that we don't speak out on that are really important to you. And that's, that is a line that we're drawing. So I think that if you are clear about how you're making those decisions and when and how you are going to use the voice of the company to speak out, then even if somebody is like, oh, I really wish that this company would talk more about the climate crisis, then at least they understand why. And you have we've been upfront with them as an organization rather than uh, having it be a constant sort of background thing of, oh, I wish that they were doing this thing that they're not doing. And so, so before, I want science, Shannon, but, uh, before I want Shannon to explain how we're thinking about it, like, so what's the pushback been on this? Because you are speaking on it. So, like, so is there no pushback from the employee base going like, well, how come we're doing oh. this and we're not doing this other thing? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And the way that, uh, this is where I think it's it's important to have these two pieces. It's like, let's be clear as an organization where we, we as this entity are going to speak up. And in addition to that, make sure that there are clear ways for employees to raise the things that they are concerned about, that they have questions about, that they just want to be able to talk about sometimes with their colleagues and not even are not even seeking necessarily a company-wide response. So I I have a, I've built a structure at Slack where people can raise questions and concerns, whether it's in a channel or it's in uh, a series of town hall meetings, uh, et cetera, et cetera, where there's a guaranteed, going to be a guaranteed set of venues that you can choose what works best for you to be able to raise any questions and concerns. And that could be something about the business. It could be something about your team. It could be something about, you know, something going on in the company, or it could be something like, um, you know, how how is the company thinking about this particular political issue and are we going to make a statement on it? Or uh, I don't understand why we don't take more action on this thing. And the answer may not be what the person needs to hear, but we give them a venue where we guarantee that we will acknowledge and hear and respond to their question. Um, so it gives people a place to channel that energy and and make sure that it's getting acknowledged and responded to rather than having it be the kind of thing that just becomes a back channel conversation that people are frustrated about without any real closure. And then the the one other aspect of that that I would say is making sure that employees have ways to connect with each other on the things that they care about most. So this is where I, I am a big proponent of being able to have social communities within an organization Slack the product is great for this as you know there are a lot of other ways to do it as well but encouraging employees to find other employees who care about the same issues and help them connect and help them you know if they want to organize a march or they want to do 
this activity or that activity or volunteer together or whatever it is, um, that they're able to find each other and that they're able to do that. And uh, that is something, that's a way that the company can enable those things to happen without being uh, making a public statement or okay. know, taking a particular stand. All right. I'm going to turn it over to Shannon because I have a thousand opinions, but Shannon, I'm going to, I'm going to let you channel some of this. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we, we approach it uh, differently and that, you know, one of our values or one of a part of our culture is that, you know, we are all different. We recognize that and we win. And the reason I say that is when you think about, you know, different topics that are going on in the world and you think about politics we realize that everyone that works with at the firm probably has a different point of view and or a different stance on different topics. So one of and the has a right to their own point of view. I might exactly add. yes totally. And so what we actually do is somewhat opposite, and that we we definitely we we acknowledge when things are going on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we I thought this last year we've done a great job of of taking the time and acknowledging there's a lot going on and there's different topics and and saying to people if they need to take time and they need to process like we're supportive of that but as a firm we definitely have a stance of having keeping politics you cut out a little bit Shannon Sorry. or am I the only one no i as a firm. Firm. yeah yeah no, so we take a different stance in keeping politics outside of the firm and so we just don't bring it in we don't voice our opinions around different political topics. Um, we don't have an external voice on different topics. Um, we just keep it outside of, of the firm. And Shannon, that is, I think that's a, that's, that is great. And I think that's a perfect, this is a perfect example of how mm-hmm. different things work for different yep. organizations and they're ha- and having a deliberate decision early on on this is how we are going to approach this kind of thing makes a big difference rather than just sort of letting it happen to you. Right. (laughs) And that's one of the things that we, we definitely, you know, obviously on the people practices side, a lot of discussions around this topic in the last year. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, we were partnering very closely with Margaret's team on the, the marketing side in, in helping our founders and CEOs think through this. And it was first, Whatever you decide to do, it has to be genuine in yes. whatever you're saying. It, it, you have to, it, it has to feel like it's meant. Second, mm-hmm. if you decide not to have a voice, it might be worth saying, like, I, we're not going to have a voice as a company. Yes, um, agreed. As long as you are, you know, actually saying what it is, I think it works for you. If it's what, mm-hmm. how you want to build and run your company. I completely agree. I think that is, that is really the key is have, have a How can you guys agree so much and end up in like completely totally opposite, opposite corners? <laughs> well, like, but, but this people. is the thing is, is I think, I think the, but what we're agreeing on is the reality that you have to have a point of view and have a strategy on this. And the strategy may be different. The point of view may be different, but you're, but you're establishing one. You're not just sort of like going willy nilly based on whatever the thing is of the moment. Like you're, you're like, nope, this is the, this is how we have decided to handle these kinds of things. We're going to be consistent about it. We're going to be open with employees about it. And that just gives everybody the level of information that they need to be able to go about their day one way or the other. Uh, And just avoids a lot of friction that can come with um, come when there isn't clarity on how a company is going to act or what is okay and what isn't. And then people are like, Ooh, can I do this? Can I say this? Should I, should I expect this? And it just, it creates distraction. And And it also, it sets the tone to your point on what type of culture and environment somebody is stepping into. 
Yes, 100%. Um, which for many folks, there might be some folks who are looking to have more of this, more interaction around these topics at work. There might be some folks, you know, we talk about this in our, in our recruiting process of we go through our, our culture and our values. And many times we get just a sigh of relief from people. They're like, oh, okay. So these, we're not going to, we don't, I don't have to address or talk about my point of view at work. And it's like, nope, because we don't talk about it here. And I think I will just say the most ridiculous example ever, but it, it stuck with me. It's like things have gotten so heightened that the other day we were doing a welcome lunch virtually, obviously, with the operating partners. So those are folks like Shannon and I and others at the firm, Jason, who's in the audience. And and there was a whole, there was an AA moment where two people admitted to each other that they actually like McDonald's, which like <laughs> that's not even a case. Right? <laughs> and like literally it was like Jeff going like Stacy, can I say this? And she's like, oh, sure. Aww. It was this hilarious story where they they now go to McDonald's for lunch. But I'm like, if that is possibly taboo, then so many things are taboo, which is why I think our strategy makes sense because it it doesn't it doesn't land the employee base into this minefield of what the opinions are supposed to be because of what the statements are have been made. I am going to open it up for questions, but keep on talking. And like, we have lots more topics that we can talk about. This is a very meaty one because there are countless examples, whether it's political activism or employees going rogue, acting on political activism on the socials and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also going to call on, how do I do this? There you go. I'm going to hand the mic to Al Hussein. Hello. Am I butchering your name? I'm so sorry if I am. No, it's great. Al, who is insane in the membrane, here with you in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Silicon, What's Valley, up? Silicon Valley represents a um, question to the experts in the room. The blind app, have you dealt with it mm. inside your corporation? Do you have corporate policies around it, uh, whether good or bad? Um, how do you address this from an executive perspective? Um, in all hands or even one-on-one with middle management as well as ICs? Um, I'm happy to start. Uh, I think whether it's blind or Glassdoor or, you know, even just Twitter in a lot of cases uh, or Medium Post or whatever it is, um, I think it's just, it's so important for for those things to be looked at and on a regular basis and for leaders in an organization to understand what are, what are the trends that are showing up there? If anything, um, are there, you know, what are people freaking out about? What do they feel like they have to actually go anonymous and post on the internet to be able to express that they, they must not be able to express internally. Um, and why is that? Are these are these things valid that we aren't that we don't know about or we don't have enough information about or that we need to really dig into? Are these things that um, we should be providing better structures for people to raise their concerns internally so that they don't feel like they have to turn to these other venues? I think it's it's really important to keep up on all of those things so that you have a better understanding of your employee base. So when I think about that stuff, I think of it less as like, oh crap, I don't want my employees to be going there. And more of a, if my employees are going to these apps to be able to express the things that they're upset about, then what can, what should I be doing more effectively within my, my company um, in order to support those people? And certainly sometimes there are going to be you know, situations that are 
the exception to the rule and are going to be like an employee who is just upset or an employee who is, um, you know, going rogue or whatever. But a lot of times they're just people who have legitimate concerns or are seeing trends and they don't feel like they have another way to express them. And I want to know what those things are so that I can uh, get to the root of them and make sure that that isn't an actual systemic problem that is affecting people in the company. Yeah, I would... (laughs) Double, I would say yes on that. Um, it is feedback is feedback, and and blind and and glass door are, you know, typically you'll see a lot more um, specific things. But I do think people go to the anonymous, um, you know, ability to anonymize their their feedback when a lot of times they don't feel comfortable or they don't feel they have a way in which to, to you know, engage with someone to provide the feedback. I think it's important to stay on top of what are the themes and what are you seeing out there? And is there truly an issue? Is it an upset employee? Like, what is it saying? Like to not read it would be, you know, um, silly, but to, you know, you might actually get some good nuggets to action on. Um, so I think it's, it's feedback and it's, it's relevant to take into account. Would you ever, yeah, thank you. Would you ever advise companies to have corporate wide policies regarding apps like blind that require that are 100% anonymous, in that, you know, that so often it can be used to stir the pot, as it were, rather than be constructive. Or are there specific communication uh, talking points or strategies around how to communicate, say, from a CEO to the employee base around activity on blind that may not be rooted in fact? Well, I mean, I, I, so are you, are you asking, is there a way in which to roll out a policy that says your employees aren't permitted to use the apps? No, not at all. But okay, more sorry. Like, more, I think I'm misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah more, 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 um, you know, you're allowed to do anything you want really, yeah. but, but um, how is, uh, what can we actually action, right? Like the, if the goal is to create change through feedback, um, how is, you know, utilizing blind, perhaps not the best vehicle for that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's more around less around putting a corporate, you know, structure around it more around figuring out how are you not getting the feedback? Do Mm -hmm. you have, do our managers trained on how to actually engage with their employees and solicit feedback from their employees? Yeah. To put a finer point on it, I think, sorry, but I think once they get to blind or glass door, whatever they Mm -hmm. are, you've kind of missed the boat a little bit that the the main signal there is that you're not getting to the employees before they feel like they have to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now I've run a company, so I find it very cowardly to not go to your manager and go like this sucks because <laughs> I've done it and I've heard it and I applaud it. However, there, there is something missing in the company where people just go vent their anger. Look, and there, I will fully acknowledge I think Amanda and Shannon might agree that there are those employees, they'll just never get there. Yeah. And those are not the right employees for your company, or at least wouldn't be for my company or our firm. Mm -hmm. But if you get a lot of glass door feedback or blind feedback, there's something amiss in the internal communications department. So you need an Amanda desperately. Yes, (laughs) I would underscore that. I think uh, if, if, if you're seeing this, especially if you're seeing the same kind of information coming up in, or the same trends coming up in these venues or the same, 
know, people complaining about the same issue over and over. That tells me that you don't have an internal structure in place for people to be able to be heard on the things that are concerning them, or their managers are not well-equipped to be able to have those conversations, or there's just, there's some sort of like psychological safety element that is missing um, and, and is pushing them to these other venues. I, the other thing that I heard you say though, is, you know, how do you address something that maybe is just flat out wrong uh, that has been posted on one of these sites? And I, I think there, you know, there, there may be situations where something is spicy or creating, you know, creating angst within the organization that is posted and you're like, whoa, like people just don't have all the information or this is blatantly not true, or maybe it is, and you're just learning about it. And you're like, crap, this is something that, you know, we should have done differently. No matter what the circumstances are, if it's something that is creating a distraction for your employees, because it is, you know, heating up on something like blind or glass door, I think the best thing, the best place to start is by openly acknowledging that with your employees. It's saying, hey, like we know you have, you know, a lot of you have probably seen this. We have too. We take this seriously. We are, you know, working to understand what happened. Um, we, you know, we, that's a, a great opportunity for you to say, you know, it's important to us that you, that you as employees feel safe bringing up these kinds of issues internally, um, you know, and, and this is how we would encourage you to do so. Um, but I think transparency is your friend, even when the, the answer might be, yeah, we screwed something up or, whoa, like we're worried about this too. And we are going to investigate it even when it isn't necessarily the most positive thing that you get to communicate that, you know, day, week, month, et cetera it's still going to help you dramatically to just come out and be frank with people about it. And I, the other thing I would add there, um, I think, you know, addressing something head on is always is great. The one time that I would say it's hard to, <laughs> I think it's one of the hardest things of being a leader is you might also end up with people out there disputing a termination. Yes. Right. And the way that you know that a termination went down versus the way that someone is actually projecting it out on one of these sites, there, there really isn't, there isn't any winning by like standing in front of the company and stating like, mm -hmm. we did this, 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 and this, there could be legal documents that hold you back from doing that. So some of them, you might not be able to dress, address head on. But I think you just like, if you have an internal comms person, if you have an HR person, I think they could definitely help you figure out what's the right approach on different topics that are showing up on, on Glassdoor and or blind. I will also say, uh, and I invited someone else to ask a question. I will also say clarity is useful. As a CEO, you shouldn't shy away from going like, okay, so this is the decision we made, or this is the stance we had. You may not like it. We're asking you to respect it. And like, yes. there are, there are people who are like, okay, that's not for me. Uh -huh. And you're going to have to be okay with that because not everyone works for every company. Amanda, go ahead. Completely agree with you. I think that's spot on. I think it's just, it's so vital to be clear and transparent and open and be okay with people opting out. hard because most these days it seems to be popular to run a company like a popularity contest because you know yeah. all we get is like feedback and mm -hmm. blind reviews and Glassdoor reviews and socials and blah 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 so there's a lot of signal there and it might be overpowering your internal spine going like no no, no this is the right thing to do popular or not 
Well, and, yeah, and, and sometimes that's, it's, it, you can't help, like I always say this to folks, feedback, the first step that people do is they personalize it. And so yes. when it's your company, it feels personal. Yes. So true. So true. And, and it's like being able to shift from that, that initial reaction mm-hmm. to, okay, this is important information for me to have. What can I do with this? Uh, that's a big, a big leap, but one that will go a long way. And I think it all really comes, a lot of this comes back to, uh, make sure that you have your internal house in order so that people know how to navigate it. They know what the systems and processes are and they have enough, you know, there's enough trust and credibility in the system so that they feel, um, they know how to get their concerns addressed without ever needing to go to a site like that. And part of having your internal house in order, I think that's a great way to put it, Amanda, is is to go like, okay, so here here's the law. Obviously, we're not going to break the law. I mean, let's assume yeah. that, you know, the company doesn't want to do that. Yes. Check. Definitely not. But then here are our values. Yes. And our values mean this kind of behavior. All the way from, can you be late to a meeting? Can you screw over a partner to get a deal? Like all of this stuff. Like what does it actually mean? to have these, this set of values and every company should have a set of values and explain what behavior is okay and not okay with that. And then and I think that's a key tool. Accountability. It's a key tool that. towards managing like, okay, so if you violate that behavior, there will be consequences. Shannon. That was exactly yes. it. I was going to say you can have all of that, <laughs> but if you don't have accountability for not following those behaviors and values, that's where you start seeing things go sideways. No, Speaking I completely of, agree. I had a Tina. question sort of on this, on this topic, right? So let's say you lay out your values. One of the values is, you know, you don't speak to media on behalf of the company unless you're an official spokesperson, but then leaks start to happen. How do you, how do you address it? How do you deal with it? Can you walk us through kind of the tactical here? I've been on the receiving end of this, like who leaked this, blah, 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 both in the portfolio and occasionally in the firm, right? So it's, Usually, I mean, I would say a lot of leaks are accidental. So in our world, a lot of leaks about um, not like some some founder is leaving or whatever. Like those are usually different, but like some funding round or whatever. So a lot of those leaks are accidental. Someone is very excited and they call their mom who calls the other mom. I'm obviously being facetious, but like it's a lot of those are accidental. Persistent negative leaks about a company are a failure of communicating internally. So, so people feel like they don't have anywhere else to go. So they'll do the secret email to pick your favorite, you know, Axios or whoever, right? And go like, I'll leak it there, depending on what the topic is. But I think a lot of them are accidental. So as a CEO, it's important to not overreact and figure out like, okay, where is this? Where's this coming from? Is this some innocent thing? Is it good news? Like, who cares? Or is it like, it's the fourth, you know, anonymous person to say X about X. And that's when it gets really, really interesting. I think Amanda's trying to. (laughs) You read my mind. No, I I agree with you. I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of times leaks are just coming from people who are really excited about something and don't realize just how critical it is for them to keep it to themselves. Um, We had that early on at Slack where I I don't even remember what the feature was, but there was a feature that we had a huge launch planned for and someone started tweeting about it. 
because they had been working on it and they were so proud of their work and they were so happy about it, you know, being able to be put out into the world. It was very like, lovely and sweet that they were excited, but also kind of effed up the whole, uh, you know, launch plan that we had around that particular issue. So uh, innocent mistake, you know, that's, that's a relatively easy one to do some employee education around how to handle those kinds of things. But that gets me to the the next point, which is I think there are major moments in any company's uh, experience, whether it is a major launch or it's uh, an exit or it's an, you know, an M&A activity or something like that, or a major executive change, where there are those big moments where you're more likely to have a leak that matters, a leak that has like real ramifications for your business. And whenever possible in those situations, being very proactive about telling those in the know, whether it's all employees or just a subset of employees, here are the rules of the road. And here's why we have to be diligent about not uh, inadvertently sharing information outside the company. Um, I think one example of that is when uh, when Slack announced its confidential filing to go public back in 2019. Uh, we the very the very day that we announced, we had extensive um, materials ready to prepare employees to understand not just hey, there's a quiet period and you can't talk about this on social media, but like here are, here are very specific examples of what that looks like, and here are the the things that you can and cannot do that you may not have thought of, and here, uh, you know, here are all of the things that you need to take into consideration, and here is why this is so important, and here are the things that could happen and put uh, you know the business in jeopardy if we were to violate these particular rules. So I think providing that level of proactive clarity helps people feel a little less skittish about. Um, you know, accidentally doing the wrong thing and can can help you have a little bit more peace of mind that, okay, at least I have prepared people of how to handle having this sort of big, uh, heavy information um, before there's a, a bigger risk of them going out um, and, and sharing it with the wrong person. Um, however, like, like you said, Margaret, I think when there are when there's clearly something malicious at play um, of like this, you know, this kind of information is being leaked regularly to a particular source or whatever, that, it, that really is, uh, that's an internal issue that kind of, I think it goes back to, uh, it goes back to what we were just talking about, right? In terms of like, yeah. you know, if, if that kind of thing is happening, then you need to ask yourself why and what, what needs to change in order to prevent that happening again. Hilariously, I have one example of the, really the dumbest leak system ever. <laughs> Um, very good reporter. So a very good reporter discovered that when employees left a certain company, this is years ago, this is certainly, I think, before that company or any company used Okta, one of our portfolio companies, which manages identity um, for mm -hmm. employees. But like, literally, they didn't turn off the emails for employees when they left or were fired. Oh, no. And yes, bingo. So presto, these people were let go or left the company and they were still getting confidential emails. You know, this could have been people in HR, legal, comps, whatever, right? Like where you get, we have access to privileged information. And um, they would just leak this to this one person systematically. It was awful. I mean, it was, uh -huh. it's like entertaining to watch, um, but like, yeah, that was bad. So a lot of okay. leaks, like I said, are accidental or just really stupid. And then yes. some of them are you you have a cultural issue and you, you need to be very clear and honest with yourself if you have that. Okay, 
So I think we're at the top of the hour. So I don't want to overstay my welcome or our welcome, but um, Amanda and Shannon and Tina, thank you so much. This was fun. There's a lot more. I have a long list of, you know, what is culture like post-acquisition? How do you deal with employee mm -hmm. activism? How do we deal with high-profile departures? What about this whole COVID thing? How about balancing, you know, empathy and high performance? Like, I have such a long list. So we'll have to do this again at some point. But thank you so much for now. I really, really appreciate everyone who came, everyone who asked questions, and Amanda and Shannon and Tina. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Would love to do it again. All right. Bye-bye, fellas. Thank Bye. you.